with you. I um, want to honor your pastors, Pastor Ian and Sharon. God bless you both. What you're doing and what you have done, what you are doing and what you're going to do. We will honor you. Put your hands together for your pastors. Zachariah said, without the pastor, the sheep will scatter. So we'll look after your pastors. We honor them. Well, God's good. Amen. Amen. And uh, it's great to be with you this morning. That was a um, story that uh, you may remember when they were trapped in the cave and uh, actually some Australian um, rescuers were very much a part of that. So um, we just thank God for those children that were um, set free from that um, situation. Well, here we are in church. Amen. Amen. We work with over 8,000 churches from Compassion. And um, we believe the church is God's vehicle to take the message to the communities that they are in, that they have a future. Because poverty says to children, you don't have a future. But we know that that's not true. Um, I've been with Compassion nearly seven years now. My goodness, time flies when you're having fun. And uh, it's about kingdom business. Lovely. Good job. And um, our mission, the reason we exist, is so that children will be released from poverty in Jesus' name. That's the whole reason that Compassion exists. Our vision, how we strategize to bring that about, is that we have what we call the three C's. Now, for some of you, you've heard this before, but for those that may be new, um, I hope this gives you an insight into the work of compassion. We are a Christ-centered ministry. Um, The distinctive of compassion to many agencies that work with children in poverty, and we thank God for those agencies. But the distinctive is that we are Christ-centered. We are focused on the gospel of Jesus Christ, the person of Jesus Christ. And so um, that's very much a part of our whole culture, that Jesus is at the center We're child-focused. We believe in the potential of children. Poverty says to children, you are of no value. You don't have a future. But we believe that God's word says something very different, that they are valuable, that they do have a future. Some people say, why don't the governments do something for the children in the countries that they're in? And they should, but a lot of countries don't. Does that mean we don't? Do anything? No, of course not. We're compelled to help release children from poverty in Jesus' name. And we're church-based. We work with over 8,000 churches, cross-denominational, primarily evangelical churches that will meet the needs of the children, spirit, soul, and body. Next slide, please. God's heart, the reason we do it is because of God's heart. And in Leviticus 19, which I know is one of your favourite books, God says to Israel, when you are harvesting the land, leave a corner for the poor. 
God was very conscious of the poor and he wanted Israel to have a corner of their land when they harvest to be left for the poor. And um, in the book of Ruth that you may be familiar with when Ruth and Naomi came back to Bethlehem as widows and in poverty, uh, Ruth was sent by Naomi to the corner of the field to go and glean. And she gleaned so well she ended up marrying the owner of the field. His name was Boaz. And she became the great-grandmother of King David. At this point in time, I usually say, ladies, if you want to get a man, learn how to glean. <laughs> but that is not politically correct. Matthew 25, Jesus said, I was hungry and you fed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was in prison and you came and visited me. And the disciples said, when did we do that? And he said, when you did it to the least of these. So right throughout Scripture, God's heart is for the poor. God's heart's for children. Um, we know the story where the disciples were shooing away the children. But Jesus said in Matthew 19, let the children come to me. The kingdom of God belongs to such as these. In fact, he goes on to say that you need to become like children. The openness, the innocence, the vulnerability. So God's heart's for the poor, it's for children, and God's heart is for the foreigner. Um, Leviticus, again, I love Leviticus. There's some little crackers in there, I tell you. God speaks to Israel and says, when the stranger or the foreigner comes amongst you, engage with them, embrace them, love them, treat them as one of your own. And Israel said, why should we do that? And God says, because at one time in Egypt, you two were foreigners. You see, when God looks at people, he doesn't see the color of their skin. He doesn't see the border of their lands. He just sees people. So for as believers, we need to be all embracing, loving to the foreigner. I'm a foreigner. I came from the north of England. And I was brought into this country when I was nine years old. We wondered what we were coming to. That was a big deal in those days. Massive. God's good. So, listen at that rain, the rain of heaven, come on. Compassion began in 1952 with this man, Everett Swanson, during the Korean conflict during 1950 to 1953. Over five million people were killed in that conflict. But while he was there, he was ministering to the military. And what his custom was, was to go to Seoul, the capital of South Korea, and walk the streets and just pray and soak up the atmosphere. And he saw a cart coming towards him that was, um, he thought, collecting rubbish, but it turned out to be dead children. And so he was moved with compassion to do something. In fact, he felt God saying to him, what are you going to do about this? What are you going to do about this? And he did something. He started with 35 children. And I'm pleased to say that today we sponsor 2.2 million children. So it's a wonderful testimony to a man who was moved by the Spirit of God. Where we work, you can see the countries there in yellow. They're the 
partnership countries and the ones in blue are the beneficiaries. In um, 2023, we're going into Malawi and also Myanmar. Myanmar is going to become part of the compassion world. So we're going to be in 27 countries, whereas at the moment that map shows 25. What's interesting is on the Korean peninsula there, it's now a partnership country where at one time it was a beneficiary. So it's had the massive change of um, moving from beneficiary to partner, which is wonderful. That happened in 1993. Your sponsorship provides, and uh, I want to thank all of you that sponsor children here, 61 children. That's 61 families, 61 communities. You are making a massive impression. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Well, for you that are sponsoring, you're preaching the gospel. As you sponsor that child, that family is affected. And um, it's all for the benefit of the kingdom of God. It's just wonderful. Education, that's what your sponsorship pays for. Uniforms, school materials. Next slide. Healthcare, dental checks. We do them on a regular basis for all the children. Nutritious meals, that goes without saying. Vocational training. We, uh, this is very important to us. We're not Centrelink. I'm not against Centrelink. It's a good thing. But that's not who we are. We want to give a hand up, not just a hand out. And so we train the kids. We tell them to dream again. Because poverty steals dreams. And we say, dream, what would you like to be? Oh, I want to be a teacher. I want to be a mechanic. I want to be a chef. And our vocational training centers in on that and helps train these children so that they can become a resource back to their own families. So we break the cycle of poverty, releasing them from poverty in Jesus' name. Christian teaching, because they're brought into the local church, we get all manner of religions, all manner of families coming to the church, and we make it very clear that they're coming into a Christian church and they will be receiving Christian education. So we preach the gospel to them. We want to meet their physical needs, their mental, their social needs, but we also want to meet their spiritual needs. And we tell them that God loves them, that they are valuable and that they do have a future and that Jesus came for them, died for them and that they can know God. And each year we have 135,000 plus children give their lives to Christ. It's just wonderful. That's out that 8,000 churches. You only need 15 to 20 kids in the church get saved times it by 8,000 and you end up with over 135,000 children. And that's not the ripple effect that goes through the families. We, we went across to the Philippines, Pastor Ian and I with a group of pastors, and uh, we met some young people in there, some of them 18, 19 years old, and I asked them the question, I said, how long have you been in the church? And they said, oh, we came in as five, six-year-olds with compassion. And there they were, still in the church, serving God, volunteering. 
So it's just a wonderful, fruitful ministry. Next slide, please. So thank you for sponsoring children. Um, if you don't sponsor a child, we've got um, some beautiful children out in the cafe. I said that in one church, and they thought that I'd physically got the children. <laughs> no, they come like this. And you can sponsor a child. It costs $11.07 a week. That's virtually three cups of coffee a week. Mind you, I think even coffee's got more expensive now. And uh, I've got young poor Koo Thin, who's been waiting 200 days. Now, on your chairs, you've got some, some children there. And I put them there so that we could pray together for these children. Because the prayers of the righteous avails much. So take a hold of those children. I look at some of these children and it reminds me of my grandchildren. And I just think, what if my grandchild was born in that country? I know it's hard to believe that I'm a grandfather, but I am. You see the blue square in the corner there? That represents the corner for the poor. That's on all the collateral of the compassion. So let's pray for these children. Father, we lift these children up before you. And we come boldly before the throne of grace. And we speak over their lives. And we say, God, release them from poverty in Jesus' name. Let your kingdom come and your will be done. In their lives, Lord, let the change take place, we ask, in the wonderful name of Jesus and all God's people said, Amen. Thank you so much. Really appreciate your prayers. And uh, again, for those that are sponsoring, thank you that it's not just about the money, it's about a relationship where you can pray for them, get to know them and help change their lives. Jesus is coming back soon. Yeah, Come on, I've heard it on the grapevine. Yeah. Be ready. Look busy. Now, I, I, I want to bring a quick word to you. We've got to finish by four o'clock, you said. So <laughs> that was a joke. Don't leave. Um, what interesting days we live in. Come on, I've been around a few years now and I've never experienced the world be so affected, not just in one place, but everywhere. And we're living in great uncertain, unsettling times. But God is still on the throne. COVID-19, Ukraine invasion, Russian nuclear threats, China, North Korea, climate change, floods, fires, inflation, cost of living, interest rates. Oh, gosh. Where's you out? We are living in unprecedented times, but it's a great opportunity for the church because we are living in times where people are asking questions 
Now, this is Pentecost Sunday. I remember when I got baptised in the Holy Spirit. I was going to the Salvation Army at Ingle Farm. I'd just become a Christian. And uh, I joined the Salvation Army because my brother did. That's a good reason to do it, isn't it? I think God's hand was behind it. Anyway, what we used to do, we go to the Salvation Army in the morning and then at night we'd sneak down to the Assemblies of God and check out what was going on there. And we heard that they were tongue talkers. And so I went to Clemsic. This tells you how long ago it was. And uh, I was there with my mother. And they were preaching and um, worshipping God. And I was slipping up next to some of them to listen to these tongues. And um, at the end of the service, the... um, the pastor said, uh, if you need prayer for healing or any type of um, situation or circumstance, come out the front and I'll pray for you. And my mum nudged me and said, I've got a really bad headache. Will you come out the front with me? And I said, oh, okay. So I took hold of mum's hand and we went down the front and we stood there and he's coming along praying for everybody. And he came up to us and he said, what, do you, what prayer do you want? And I said, oh, my mum's got a headache, if you pray for it. Migraine. It was a migraine. And uh, he said, no problem. And so he placed his hand on my mum and started praying for her. And just as he touched her, she tilted like this. And her head touched my shoulder and I got filled with the spirit. Worked that one out. Changed my life again. I'd already had my life changed, giving my life to Christ. But then this experience was, woo, it was just wonderful. And I felt empowered. And God continues to empower each one of us. And I feel that we are here at Pentecost Sunday. You are not here by coincidence. You are here specifically because God has brought you to worship him, connect with one another, but also have your belief system affected. Your belief system is that invisible part of you that as you hear my words in your ear gate and your eye gate goes into your spirit and it affects your belief system. Your belief system is incredibly important because it affects your decisions, your choices, your direction. And ultimately your eternal destiny is in your belief system. Jesus said, if you can believe, all things are possible. So your belief system is incredibly important. So as I minister this word, I want to affect your belief system. Confirming things I know that you're already taught here. And establishing for you to go out into the world and affect people's lives. And the way that we affect lives, I believe, and we're empowered, is to answer questions of life. That this uncertainty that we're living in today, people are asking questions. 
Now, we're filled with the Holy Spirit, not just to have sparks fly from our fingers or speak in tongues, but I believe that we're empowered to answer questions because we live in a world, in our society, where people are asking questions. Jesus said, I'll make you fishers of men when he spoke to the disciples. You've got to know what fish you're after. Come on. The fish in Australia are different to the fish in Kenya. The culture's different. And so we're empowered and we've got to go on the journey so we can ask quest answer questions of life. People have got questions. So I believe that we're empowered by the Holy Spirit to bring answers to them. The first question that's starting to permeate in people's lives is, is there a God? Come on. Years ago, everybody used to believe there was a God. But today, it's different. And the question is, is there a God? The Apostle Paul says, if the dead do not rise, let us eat, drink and be merry, for tomorrow we die. If there is no God, then eat, drink and be merry, because tomorrow you'll die. Yeah. It's okay. No God, no problem. But I believe there is a God. And Romans 1.20 says, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Creation itself speaks to us that there is a God. So if you move on this side as to say there is a God, you see, before I became a Christian, I used to believe there was a God, but I didn't know him. But once I say there is a God, the next question is, who is he? Yeah. That's a big one. Google tells us there's over 4,300 plus religions in the world. That's a lot of gods. And if you're on that journey at the moment of wanting to know, is there a God? and I establish, yes, there is, then who is he? You've got a journey of discovery. There's Hinduism, there's Buddhism, there's Islam, there's Sikhism, there's Rastafarians, there's Shinto, there's Baha'i, there's a multicultural God, there's a God that can't make his mind up who he is, there's the compromise God, let's get along with everybody God. There's loads of gods. But is there a God? yes then who is he? And who you decide this God is will affect your belief system. John 1.1 1, 1 says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John 1.14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Bible reveals who God is. I want to encourage you with the Bible. I believe that this is the infallible word of God. 
This reveals his character, who he is. This book is about identity. His identity and my identity. Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Identity is in here. So I want to encourage you, read the Word of God. Bible studies, get along to them. Don't make the Word of God a secondary place. Put it first place in your life. Come on. One of the big challenges for the church in the 21st century is biblical illiteracy. We need to know the word of God. I want to encourage you. I'm not telling you off. I want to encourage you. Because it's a mirror. It's a mirror to who he is and a mirror to who I am. You will not know God by going out in the wilderness and going... You can do that. You might enjoy it. That's fine. But it's not going to tell you about the character of God, of what he's like. This is the truth. And the truth will set you free. God is love. God is spirit. Jesus, when he started his ministry, the first thing he was challenged on when he went into the wilderness, driven by the Holy Spirit, the devil came to him, it says, and Satan came to him and said, if you are the son of God, challenging his identity. And Jesus retorted with Deuteronomy 8.3, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. In other words, Jesus was saying, I'm not going to perform for you, Satan, to prove my identity. The word of God proves my identity. And he continues, as Jesus went on the journey, always speaking about identity. Matthew 16, who do men say that I am? And the, and the disciples they said, one of the prophets, Jeremiah, John the Baptist raised from the dead. Yeah, but who do you say that I am? And Peter pipes up and says, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And upon this rock I will build my church. Not the rock of Peter, but the rock of what Peter received, which was revelation of the identity. Come on. Right to the end of Jesus' ministry, when um, he was doing the Last Supper, he said, this is my body. He would have broken that bread into three pieces, which represents Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he would have picked up the middle piece and said to those Jewish boys, I am the Isaac. Come on. Because even to this day, they break that bread at Passover into three pieces and they hide the middle piece. And the children come in and part of the ceremony is for them to go look for Isaac. Jesus on that last night was saying, I am the Isaac, except God is going to go through with it this time. For those that might not be familiar, Abraham took his son Isaac to Mount Moriah laid him on the altar, was about to kill him, and God said, stay thy hand, beautiful King James, stay thy hand. But this time he was going to take him to Calvary. 
and he wasn't going to stay thy hand. He was going to go through with it because that was his identity. Come on, God is clever. There's all the hustle and bustle right at this very moment upon that mount, Temple Mount in Jerusalem. Right at this very moment, it's on the news. There's a stirring going on because God's not finished with Israel. God's not finished with his plan. That's why Jesus is coming back soon. Woo-hoo. Come on, we're all going to get a new hairdo when he returns, boing. <laughs> so, is there a God? Yes. Who is he? I believe he's the God of the Bible. Then the question arises, who am I? Who am I? Have you ever asked that question? I know before I became a Christian, I used to look in the mirror. I look in the mirror today and I think, who the heck's this guy? (laughs) I used to have long flowing hair. Just like to dwell on that a moment. But I'd ask myself the question, who am I? And the Bible in Genesis 1.27 tells me, God created man in his own image. Male and female, he created them. I am the image of God. Come on. Humanity is the image of God. And God is spirit. Knowing who I am is important. I am a spirit, I have a soul, and I live in a body. You can see this magnificent specimen before you. That wasn't meant to be funny. I live in this body. You've got to have a body to be on the planet. Even Jesus had to get one. Look after your body because when it conks out, you're gone. But I am a spirit. My life force is the image of God. And Pentecost Sunday, when the fire came above their heads, it was signifying, now I dwell in humanity. No longer in tabernacles or buildings, but in humanity. I am a spirit. I have a soul. Soul and spirit are different. My spirit is my life force and it's self-giving. My spirit wants to do the right thing. My soul is self-expression. As I express myself with you, that's my soul at work. They're very close. In fact, in Hebrews 4.12, it says, The word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, able to divide asunder the joints and the marrow, the soul and the spirit. They're very close but they are different. And I live in a body. I'm a trichotomy. Like God. Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Spirit, soul and body. So understanding who I am, I also understand that I'm broken. I'm a broken man. But thanks be to God in his grace and his kindness. He restored me back to himself. 
He gave us the Ten Commandments to reveal our brokenness. Come on. Some people say to me, I live by the Ten Commandments. Well, I wish you well. I don't. God gave us those to reveal our brokenness. In fact, I think he could have got away with just one commandment and said, thou shalt not bear false witness. If you've ever told a lie, lift your hand. And if you didn't lift your hand, you're a liar. <laughs> and we are here today to express the love of God. As you have come into the kingdom of God, our business is to let people know in this region, in this district, that they belong to God. Humanity belongs to God. Whether they believe or not, they still belong to God because they are created in the image of God. Amen? You're not here to judge. Come on. Don't judge people's behaviour. That's not your job. Jesus is going to do that when he comes back. He's going to bring judgment. Our job is to let people know they belong, not to tell them off. God's the one who changes people, not you and I. Come on. When I was younger in the faith, I was a budding evangelist. And I used to think I'd notch them up on my belt, get another one saved. It took me a while, but God cleared me up on that one. He said, I'm the one that changes them, not you. Come on. Why am I here? You are here for a purpose. These are questions, these are really important questions that we need to be familiar with and work through that we can bring answers to people. You have got the Spirit of God residing within you to bring you a word of knowledge, a word of wisdom. Jesus operated in those gifts all the time. And you too can. You, the same spirit that lived in Jesus lives in you. Come on. How good's that? So you're here. Matthew 6.33 gives us the reason we're here. Seeking first the kingdom of God. The context of that scripture is to seek first the advancement of God's kingdom and his righteousness. You are not here just to exist. You are here for a purpose. Some, I, I, I think it's, it, God's going to shake us and is shaking us. For you are here for a purpose, not just to exist. You see, we can experience the promise of God the presence of God, the power of God, the provision of God. But like Israel, you can experience all those things, but like Israel who experienced all those things, they went round in circles in the wilderness for 40 years. Yet they had the promise of God. They had the presence of God. They had a cloud and a pillar of fire by night. They experienced the power of God. They saw the Red Sea open up. 
and the provision of God, manna from heaven, clothes that didn't wear out. What a pair of school shoes they would have been. But they went round in circles. Why? Because they never connected to the purpose. Giants came and it scared them off. In the purposes of God, listen, in the purposes of God, giants are part of the deal. You get giants. We as the church have got to learn to push through. Come on. Why am I here? I'm here to advance God's kingdom. I'm here to love God. That's the easy part. The second one's the tough one. Love people. Come on, don't make me feel alone here. (laughs) People are tough to love sometimes. Now I know not in this church, of course. But people are tough to love sometimes. That's why we need that love of God that's inside of us. You've got faith, hope and love inside of you, the God kind. Faith that can move mountains. Hope that hopes against all loss of hope. And love, which is the agape love, the unconditional agape love inside of you. You've got everything you need to fulfill the purpose of God. And finally, where am I going? People want to know where they're going. Listen, as you get older, you know you're on the home straight. When you're 20, 30, even 40, maybe even 50, it's like, oh yeah, life's good. But then when you're 60, not that I'd know, you realise you're on the home straight. Come on. Can anybody relate to this or am I on my own here? No. And life does come to an end. Where am I going? Evolution says this. Who am I? You're an accident. Why am I here? No reason. Where am I going? Nowhere. Oh, that's brilliant. (laughs) Wonderful. The Word of God says something very different, that when you die, and you will, unless Jesus returns beforehand, and I hope he does, that'd be good, wouldn't it? But you will be going to a place. When you die, you do not cease to exist. Your body falls to the ground, but your spirit and your soul To be absent from the body will be to be present with the Lord. And heaven is a real place. Jesus said in John, he says, I'm from above. I'm not from here. I've come down from somewhere. It's a geographic place. The streets are paved with gold. No bitumen there. It's gold. There's 12 gates that are in this new heaven and each gate is made by one pearl. Have a look in Revelation. It'll tell you. One pearl. Imagine the size of the oyster. (laughs) 
And to get to heaven has got nothing to do with your behaviour. The world present, I'm a good person or be a good person and you get to heaven. No, that's, it's got nothing to do with behaviour. Nothing. It's got everything to do with what Christ did at Calvary. Now that's not an excuse to be naughty. But you and I are going to heaven because of what Jesus has done. He paid the price for your sin and my sin. Now, God wants us to be well behaved, but that's not the issue. The issue is the blood of Christ. Come on, the power of the blood brings forgiveness. When I get to heaven... I'm just going to point to Jesus and said he paid the price for me. How wonderful is that? John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. So I want to encourage you. Prepare yourselves as you're filled with the Holy Spirit that you have answers to questions that people will ask you. The fish that we're trying to catch, they want answers to questions and they want realistic answers. God's the one who changes them, but we're the vehicle that bring the message. That's your job and my job. Finally, Usually we have about three finalists, but no, this is the final. I want to encourage you. You are a church that's specifically in this area and been here for a few years. You've got great leadership. There's a time that's coming that increase is going to take place. Go with the flow on the increase. A lot of churches struggle with growth. They all pray for it, but they struggle with it when the new people come in. Because the new people start to sit in your favorite chair. <laughs> the new people bring all their idiosyncrasies and their weird behavior. And a lot of churches struggle with that. Oh, it's not like it used to be. No, it's not because you've grown. Come on. We've got to go on that journey of allowing the growth to take place and we've got to grow as people in Jesus' name.